Hello and welcome to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. I'm Josh Chappell. And I'm Andy Probasco. Today, we'll be talking about what's happened in the format in the past year, and then a discussion of proxies, the banner-restricted announcement recently, and then food and drink stuff. Yeah, so we haven't podcasted in, I think, more than a year, so we actually have a lot to catch up on. As we were sort of discussing beforehand, we figured out that the last time we podcasted was with Andy as a guest, and now we've just decided to sort of add him as a regular, and we were talking about Gifts Ungiven being unrestricted. So that was the last time we podcasted, which I think was, what, last September or something? Was it that long ago? I thought it was like last January or February. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. It, it's been a while, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's been, it's been well quite a while. more more magic credibility to our cast by giving yeah right. <laughs> I love that it's really easy to look up because it was right before mentor was legal and right after the restricted gifts like we probably have the date but oh, I'm yeah. not gonna look it up that's a good yeah, point it's not important you know we haven't <laughs> not, we haven't not done anything for a long time our listeners have been without our vast expertise on the vintage format and been all the better for it yeah <laughs> you know it's just seemed Leaps and bounds of vintage technology since then. <laughs> so anyway, so last time we talked, we were talking about Gifts Ungiven and, you know, what it could possibly do in the format. And, you know, really it has done nothing. So yeah, it, it was, was a strike for us there. It was but, we, you know, we did talk about a, a better blue I, I think I think we were cautiously optimistic about Gifts. I don't think anyone thought it was definitely going to take over the format. But right. we thought it was going to do a little better than it did. And it's it's worth noting you know, we haven't been on this podcast for a year, and uh, we'll talk about this later, but when we talked about GIFs, it was a very different environment. Um, oh, yeah. One of the reasons yeah. I think GIFs did so poorly was that it got totally crushed by Delver, which still right. exists, but it is not, doesn't have all the tools it did right. at the time. Right. Well, and, and GIFs was also competing with, at the time, Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time. Both of those were certainly easier to resolve and more forgiving for a player. I mean, like if you were new and getting into the format or you just weren't concentrating or whatever, it's a lot easier to just draw three cards rather than put together a gift. Yeah, it's crazy when you say that a spell that costs eight is easier to resolve than a four drop instant, but it's... I I mean, that spell actually costs two or one. Yeah, I mean, and and there's less restrictions on it, you know. I mean, graveyard interactions are, you know, your gifts is worse, so... That sort of easily segues into what happened shortly after the podcast, which I think people knew Treasure Cruise was good. Um, right. It got it got restricted either just before or just after our podcast. But I think yeah. it wasn't long after that people started to realize it's not just good. It's not just a good card for Delver. It was the core of Blue Decks. You had lots of different strategies, trying to run as many as they can. I mean, this wasn't popular, but I was running Thought Scours in decks. I was running anything to right. just cast as many digs as you could faster than the other player reminiscent of, um, I don't know, like old factor fiction battles and psychotog decks or something. Just right. You're trying to resolve yours faster than they resolve theirs. Right. Yeah, I hadn't played a lot over the past year, and I didn't actually play with Dig Through Time. I was playing with other wonky stuff and have been, but uh, it's pretty much as soon as my opponent resolves a Dig Through Time, the game is more or less over. Yeah. Like, they just get so far ahead in that one spell that I'm not going to be able to compete. I mean, they but, usually get one card that counters your dig through time. 
Yep. And another card that lets them resolve their second victory time. And once that happens, it's, yeah, it's just ugly. Right. I, I really regretted that there was one tournament where I played a total of six digs and cruises. I don't remember if it was three and three or if I was playing four cruise and two dig. But I, I really regret not having a deck that pushed that farther and played all eight or, <laughs> or at least seven of them. I'm sure they could have thrived together. And it's, they did. It's yeah. pretty gross. In that earlier podcast where we were talking about Gifts Ungiven, we were also talking about the uh, probable acceptance of Monastery Mentor as a vintage staple. And I, I think that has come to pass. Yeah, absolutely. There was a period of time, it was a little slow to catch on. And then for a while, Pyromancer decks and Mentor decks were sort of exclusive and neck and neck. And I think Pyromancer decks were probably a little bit better when you had four digs. But nowadays, which we'll talk about in a little bit, it's uh, it, it's it's all Mentor all the time. There's still some Pyromancer decks out there, but Mentor is currently the champion of token generation. <laughs> right. Format. He, he's do you feel good. like um do, do you feel like there was a difference between how Pyromancer and Mentor are played, how the how the decks build around those creatures? It, do you feel like that was sort of a factor in? Mentor being a little bit slow to catch on, like people were still trying to do the pyromancer thing, but with Mentor, and that wasn't the right direction for it. I think that's a factor. I think um, yeah, we're skipping ahead a little bit, but obviously the biggest thing that happened since then was that they unrestricted thirst for knowledge and they restricted chalice of the void and dig through time. Mentor really likes moxes yeah. a lot more than pyromancer does. Not, not only does it do moxes trigger the mentor tokens, which is huge. It's also a heavy colorless mana requirement. You really want to be able to throw out a bunch of, you know, off-color Mox Emeralds just so you can cast that Mentor turn earlier. The popular good Pyromancer decks, when Mentor was printed, were often on just, like, two on-color Moxes. Um, right, they were more tempo decks. Mm-hmm. And, and people were kind of rewarded for doing that. So I think that's a big part of it. I think a non-small part of it is also just popularity. If the decks are about even and one tips over a little bit, more people play it, so it wins more, so more people play it, so it wins more. But sure. but, but Moxes and Chalice are definitely a huge uh, factor. Where I think sure. people are more comfortable playing it because no Chalice, let's play five Moxes, let's let's play Mentor. Yeah, the, and the damage adds up so fast. You know, you usually win in a turn or two. Yeah, absolutely. I certainly feel like if a Mentor lands against me, it's a much more significant threat than a Pyromancer. Pyromancer, you usually have multiple turns. Yeah, well, I think that's fair. I, I think that you have to, I mean, unless you get your opponent to a fight over that Monastery Mentor and leave them with just the Monastery Mentor in hand, if they, if they have two or three spells in hand, like, the Mentor just gets out of control. Mm-hmm. Whereas two or three spells in hand with Pyromancer, you're still looking at a, a, a chance anyway to fight through. I, I, I'm eating a Lodestone Golem. I've been here before. Right. Yeah, I mean, Lodestone Golem's a great, card to bring up because I think that's a factor too. I think the mindset half a year ago, a year ago was I need to beat shops like number one. Like I I, I cannot bring back to a tournament unless I'm super comfortable against shops. It's not like shops doesn't exist anymore, but it's not the first thing you think of. Yeah. That one minute difference, the fact that red just has better sideboard cards against shops than white does. Yeah. And it's a different kind of shops too. I mean, what we're seeing now without chalice, your shop deck have sort of been getting away from that heavy prison aspect backed up by Lodestone, and they're getting into a more aggressive aspect. I mean, you're seeing tiny robots and large robots and whatever else, and it's you're seeing a lot more, I don't know, It's shop stacks have been different anyway since Chalice's restriction. So we were saying before we started the podcast how um, Champs came around, and this was before 
the uh, restricted announcement happened. Right. And um, I, I want to say going into champs, obviously everyone has their own opinion. I want to say the favorites were Shops and Delver for people saying those are going to be the most popular, best performing decks. Not that something can't come out and surprise you, but that's exactly right. what happened. I mean, Shops and Delver definitely did well, but the deck that won sort of, I mean, obviously one person saw it coming, but most <laughs> Wizard players did not see it coming. Brian Kelly won the Finnish Championships with an Oath deck, but to call it an Oath deck isn't necessarily fair because it wasn't really like any Oath deck people had seen before. Right. Um, it had a Oriok Salvager's Kill. It, it, it had three different, I believe the main deck had a Grizzlebrand and an Oriok Salvager's and a Dragonlord Dramoka, which was right. probably the most talked about card. Can, can you explain what the heck that yeah, is? Yeah, what does that card, what does that card do? I don't. Know. It's funny because now, now a lot of people know after that, but uh, Dragonlord Dramoko is a card from probably the same set Mentor was from. It's uh, like four colorless and a green and a white. I'm looking up now. Um, it's a five seven. It can't be countered, and it has like a City of Solitude effect. Your opponents can't cast spells during your turn, and it has yeah. flying and lifelink. So it, it's it's got all these like cool metagamey things. It's not this raw power card on its own, but like against a control deck. It's uncounterable, and none of your other spells can be countered. And against a Delver deck, it's really hard for a Delver deck to deal with that. It's a 5-7 with right. life I, I think this was sort of not talked about a lot, but I think one thing very good about Tromoko was it wasn't legendary. Caracas was the best anti-Oath card going into the tournament, if you're just like, I have a deck that's bad against Oath. Uh-huh. I don't know how much that factored into to Brian Kelly's win, but it was this. It was, a, it was an Oath deck that didn't lose to Grafdigger's Cage, right? You, you Oath up your Dromoka. And you cast it. Well, or you have um, Ariok Salvagers. Salvagers. And you cast it, and you got a Lotus and a Spellbomb in your graveyard from that. It was, um, you call it an Oath deck because that's what you see when you look at it, but it's really this sort of, like, Bant control deck yeah. that runs four Oaths. Right. Um, well, you have, I mean, Dragonlord Dromoka is legendary. Oh, jeez, it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I must have been thinking I mean, about it. Its name is Dromoka. <laughs> no, um, actually, no, what I was thinking of is the sideboard card, Magus of the Moat. <laughs> Right. Which is in there, which totally beats workshops, which is right. embarrassing, but it does. It just, it totally beats a workshop deck. If their game plan was, I'm going to bring a bunch of graph takers cages and caracuses, which were like the popular cards. Right. Um, and I, I think the, the interesting thing about that oath package is that it had so many different directions. I mean, it's not like you could plan on beating Grizzlebrand because you would end up losing to the Dragon Lord or to mm-hmm. Ariok Salvager's combo. And you couldn't plan on beating Ariok Salvager's combo because you would lose to the other two. I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, you, um, you could have been great or, or, or null rods and they're just laugh at you, you know. And it was definitely a deck, I think a lot of people had the same reaction where it won champs and looked at it and people were like, this is ridiculous, this guy got lucky. And then they kept looking at it and they watched the games and they were like, oh, actually, they really thought through the metagame. Right. And, and, and this, and Brian Kelly had been winning all these tournaments before then. I mean, I wasn't, yeah, Brian, Brian I hadn't Kelly's heard of him because really I wasn't paying attention to this tournament. Brian had Kelly been winning tech. real serious tournaments. Yeah. He's, he, he knows what he's doing. Um, yeah. those, the choices are not random. Right. And he's proven since with other decks. Where? He, he runs strange choices that do well. Where is that um, deck now? Well, and that's sort of what we were talking about before the podcast, Brandon. I think. Sort of very shortly after Champs, they had all the announcements. It shook up the entire metagame and sort of, Nobody talked about it since. I mean, the deck had two dig through times in it and one and no treasure crews. So like right. out of all the decks that like, I think out of all the decks, the top eight of champs that was the least affected, you just go, Oh, minus one dig plus one treasure cruise. But it just, they didn't do that. Brian Kelly didn't keep playing the deck. Other people didn't pick up on it. 
I'm definitely curious if the announcement hadn't happened so soon, if that deck would have gotten more popular, but it kind of didn't get the chance. Do you think the metagame changed around it? I mean, like, when they restricted everything, do you think that, you know, the decks that the Dramoka Oath was good against, those dropped out far off that it just didn't have that edge anymore? Or? I think it was partially that. I think it was a lot of sort of flavor of the week, I guess. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, there's a lot of experimenting to do when a format shakeup in the random restricted sense happens. I mean, like... Yeah, and it wasn't just... I mean, you restrict Chalice and you restrict Dig, and that changes the metagame, and that makes right. you, that forces you to play different decks. But when you unrestrict a card, that's when all, that's when everything changes. That's when everyone sure. wants to play, everyone wants to try it out. I mean, that's what happened with Gifts. They unrestricted Gifts. A lot of people tried out the decks. Turns out those decks weren't very good, but the Thirst decks are fine. They right. didn't dominate the format, but they're still Thirst decks doing well right now. There were just so many decks that people wanted to try. I think the appeal of, oh, that cool deck, that one champs, it was just less exciting. There's also I was and I, a yeah. lot more Godly Welders. Yeah, yeah. I think people tried it like the week and then abandoned it. Yeah. And I don't, I, I'm not a huge fan of the Welder Thirst decks, but I feel like they deserved a little more of a try than, uh, than they got. I like to mention all the time that there are some people who will use any excuse to try and bring back Slaver. Yeah, but this and, was the best excuse like, they ever got, right? Like, and like, and yeah, obviously, thirst for knowledge is a really good excuse, but I mean, it's like, you just have players who are just so in love with that deck that, you know, I'm gonna throw mana drains and goblin welders and thirst for knowledge is in a deck and let's see where that goes. Like, I, I gotta play slaver. That's <laughs> true. And, and, it, and the fact that it didn't win a bunch, I mean, Richet did win some dailies with it, but then quickly sure. stopped playing it because even Richet, who is the most has the, the most, most reverse slaver, slaver player. Yeah. Realized it was just not as good as other things he could be doing. I do think, and this is not a good thing, it is important to note that Brian Kelly's champ set, you cannot play on Magic Online. Oh, sure. It has the Orax Salvagers combo in it. It's important to that deck. And the Orax Salvagers combo doesn't really work on Magic Online. Maybe a good podcast topic down in the future is talking about the good and terrible things about Magic Online. The, but, the, and but the differences very, between it and real life. Yeah, but a, but a very quick thing is that in Magic Online, you have to actually make all the clicks when you do infinite combo. You can't just shortcut it. So if you want to generate 100 mana, you need to click like 700 times, and your clock runs out and you lose the game. So it's not really realistic to play a Salvador's deck online. Now, that doesn't mean that people shouldn't play the deck, but it does mean it doesn't mean a few things as far as popularity is concerned. People like me who play a lot online, I'm not going to test it because I, I test online. And also, it's never going to be on the DSL. And I think there's a lot of people who put a lot of stock in what the people in the DSL are playing. Yeah, there's a lot of visibility for that. I think decks like that Blue Belcher deck, that gets mm-hmm. a lot of uh, a lot of hype simply because Randy Bueller plays it frequently in the in the Vintage Super League. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are pros and cons to that, but it does mean that uh, right. normally <laughs> normally Champs is the most visible event of the year, and people will be looking at the Champs decks, you know, four months from now when they say, hey. When they're saying, hey, what, what decks have been doing good in Vintage, they'll see that, you know, champs happened within a few months ago, and they'll look at that. But now there's them, but there's also the VSL decks. There's also these Power 9 Challenge decks online. It's not as high profile as it was before. Right. I always think it's kind of funny. There are a few people, non-Vintage regulars, who still recall that Slash Panther was a Vintage card. And I, I feel like that's <laughs> sort of the, the aspect that you get into is, like, they see vintage in flashbulb moments. <laughs> it's like, oh, slash yeah, yeah. really cool. That's in vintage. Like, I, and it was for, for like, 
for a very that, short amount of time, that's like, that was all over the place. Right, and that was what you saw. Like, we had that one month or whatever where Slash Panther was good, and everyone who doesn't play Vintage remembers that like it was yesterday. And it's just like, man, I should get some Slash Panthers and play Vintage. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you need, but by, Slash Panther. But by the time they heard about that, right. it was not as highly regarded. So, so yeah, so we had, uh, we had champs and then Chalice of the Void getting restricted, I think was, it, it has changed the face of shops drastically. I was really surprised about mm-hmm. that for two reasons. I was surprised that they did it, but I was also surprised how much it hurt shops. Yeah. Like it's a great tool, but it's sort of a quiet one, but very significant. I was very surprised that they made all those changes at once. I didn't necessarily disagree with any one of those changes. But the fact that they were just like, ah, Chalice, Digger Time, Thirst for Knowledge, all at the same time, there was so much potential. Any one of those things could have just ruined the format. And it didn't, and I think that we're in a pretty good place right now, but I don't feel like they needed – things weren't so desperate that they needed to do all those things at once. Right. Um, I, I'm curious what it would take to ruin the format. Jerry the, Yang has said this before. I don't think the, the format gets ruined. I mean, like, Yeah, I think it, it, it adapts, right? It yeah. adjusts. Yeah, the format I mean, can adjust so to just about anything. So many things in so many different areas. That I think there's a, I think it's probably the format's probably more resilient than I think it is. But there's yeah. there's a line we can cross where, right? If, well, sure. If if dredge is so good that you can't play any non-dredge deck and expect to win a tournament, then right. people stop going to tournaments. And we were close to there with shops. I don't think we were there. But if if oh, shops just straight up, if shops just straight up. If nobody ever thought they had a chance of casting spells unless they were running for workshops for ancient dunes, right. it would be a problem. Now we weren't there, but there are things that could happen. Now restrictions and restrictions probably not for shops or dredge. I can't. It wouldn't make any sense for them to restrict Leyline of the Void. Like they obviously wouldn't do that. They wouldn't print a new bizarre Baghdad. There's probably something they could do to a combo deck. There's probably some some kind of combo deck. I, I, I know uh, some team serious members really like talking about unrestricted channel. And I don't think that would break the format, but that's the example of the kind of card. Like, if all of a sudden you can't compete unless everyone in the format is playing Belcher and it's like <laughs> yeah, in uh, a non-interactive way, the Belcher mirror is just hold on, hold on. I have to pick up my pencils. They <laughs> rolled under the floor. Yeah, I think that the two unrestrictions <laughs> that, that we like to joke about, the two that that we like to joke about, are, are channel and demonic consultation. Both of which the format could endure, but it would be pretty gross. The things that would happen. You, you don't add balance into that list. Uh, I, does anyone say that unrestricting balance would be safe? That seems even oh, yeah, more there insane. Have been, there have been plenty of people who have said that. Like, <laughs> for for a long time, I thought it was safe. But that's because there was no such thing as a good creature deck. Like, for a long time, <laughs> right. I, I strongly believed that balance was a bad pyroclasm. It was a pyroclasm that caused <laughs> you to discard two cards. But that is not the case anymore. Man, when were you so bad, Some kind of (laughs) (laughs) non-control. It was when there were no creature decks. Like, shops didn't have a single creature. Right. Maybe Goblin Welders. And you had to run white to do it. It's not like they had printed white cards besides balance and source of pleasures. And source wasn't... And you just mulligan on the play to, like, land Mox balance every time? Yeah, but but you lose so hard to force. I mean, you beat a hand that doesn't have... Well, you don't even beat a hand that doesn't have force, right? You just... You both have no hand. What if you do that and your opponent's on dredge? Well, <laughs> all right, I discard three dredgers. Untap uh, win. But it is scary, right? I think there are restrictions that are probably fine, but there's more or less risk. Right. And I think there, there's huge risk to, to making three major changes at the same time. Do, so it's do, surprising they did it. Do you, do you <laughs> think that dig through time was a good move? Cause I feel like it was. 
I think it was a good move on its own. I think they should have just restricted Dig Through Time. Yeah, I think I would have been yeah, or just that restricted too. Chalice. I think there was this idea that they wanted to hurt shops, so they restricted Chalice, but they didn't want to hurt shops and leave blue decks unharmed, so they also restricted a good blue card. But I think that was short-sighted because there's more than one blue deck. And, and I know that some people I've talked to in Team Series do not necessarily agree with this, but there's more than one blue deck, and some of them Dig is good against, right? And those decks are the Thirst decks. There are Thirst for Knowledge decks that would have lost the Dig, and they would have lost the Chalice, and they did this whole thing all at the same time. But they're like, here's a new deck. Your best blue Predator is gone. Your best Workshop Predator is gone. Have fun. Hmm. Um, that didn't happen, thank God. Uh, yeah, all yeah I was going to say, like, Thirst for Knowledge hasn't been a huge presence since then. Yeah, it, it, it hasn't, and it, it did work out fine. I just thought there was a big risk of that. Like, basically, of, like, bringing back Tezzeret. Sure, okay. Which, which was, I mean, I kind of liked playing Tezzeret, but that was a <laughs> terrible format. That was just, just, it was just a mirror of whoever drew a reasonable hand went first. Everyone was just top-decking keys to win games that had no business winning. And if the tempo decks couldn't compete without Thirst, or without Dig, and turns out they can, but that was a risk. Yeah. They were just like, ah, we'll, we'll give them three tools all at once. Well, um, that, that was sort of my concern about it, was that, you know, the unrestricted Thirst, which encourages blue decks to play Moxes, and then they restricted Chalice at the same time, uh-huh. which discourages blue decks from playing Chalice. And the other thing is that you know, Chalice was such a good option for just aggro control decks of various colors. I mean, whether it was whether they included blue, whether they didn't include blue, whether they played workshops or not, you know, that you could play a red-green beats deck with Chalice of the Void and stand a, a more reasonable chance against decks that were playing a bunch of Moxes yeah. or decks that had a bunch of one-drops like Delver because they have all those cantrips or something that's, like that. that and, that's you know, why it surprised me. left Chalice and had a more varied metagame because of aggro control. Yeah, as, as opposed to if you restrict Lodestone, that's really yeah. only hitting the Lodestone Golem decks. Not, right. not that I'm saying, I mean, I hate shop, so I wouldn't have minded that happening, but I don't know if it would have been the best thing for balance in the format. Right. But, Andy, uh, we have to, yeah, you're right. we have to be fair and balanced. Right. Your well, biases there, are coming out. But that's the thing, out. is like there are other, other options in the shop's decks, too. I mean, like, maybe it didn't hit Lodestone Golem, but, it, you know, there were people talking about, well, maybe we could restrict Tangle Wire. Like, Tangle Wire is at times, Three time walks and at times a do nothing. Tangle Wire is definitely the card that most often where I'm playing at shops and I think there's nothing in their deck that can beat me this turn except Tangle Wire. Right. <laughs> and they don't have it. Right. And then, I, but, I but then, I mean, even, yeah. even, uh, you know, Sphere of Resistance is a unit of everything. If you restrict that to one and still leave Thorn and still leave Lodestone, which are significantly weaker against certain opponents, like, those are two other possible restrictions that only hit shops and don't hit the aggro control area. But, you know, obviously. Yeah, this this conversation reminds me of um, something I totally forgot because they restricted Chalice. About like a month before Champs, two months before Champs, this new deck appeared. And it didn't really have enough time to prove itself as good. So I can't say it was a good deck. I mean, it didn't look like a good deck to me, but it, it was doing pretty well. I think they called it, uh, they called it Blue Moon. Um, oh, yeah. It was this blue-red control deck, ton of basics and blood moons, and right. red chalice of the voids. And every blue deck in the format was running eight cantrips. So it's just like, well, I'm not going to run cantrips. I'm just going to run a chalice. I'm going to shut that off. I'm going to run a blood moon, which conveniently most of their removal for blood moon gets shut off by the chalice one. It was this really interesting deck. It was like a pure control deck in a way that isn't very common in vintage. They could get into uh, Consecrated Sphinx, too. And yeah, they played not just embarrassed with any kind of drawing. Yeah, <laughs> it. Uh, it's just like someone took their modern deck and proxied some moxes <laughs> over some lands, and there you go. Yeah, kind yeah. of. 
like, it wasn't a deck that I played. I mean, it, it was, I think it was my second loss at Champs, so I should actually hate it. But, like, that's really interesting. It was reminiscent of old, like, Urfid decks, which used to be a thing. But, like, it was definitely this sort of new deck, this new archetype. And it existed because of someone being creative enough to use Chalice of the Void in a workshop deck. And of every card in, if they had restricted any other card in workshops, that would still be a deck. Right. But they didn't. They restricted the one card that was powering, like, new, interesting format variety archetypes. Mm-hmm. Right. Urfid with Chalice and Impulse instead of Brainstorm was awesome. Yeah, I, I think this is like the spiritual successor to that deck. It was it was kind of interesting, but obviously no one's played it since then. So we've gotten to this point where they've actually done this restriction and unrestriction. Thirst for Knowledge is legal and everything else, or well, Thirst for Knowledge is legal as a four of, and other things are restricted. I mean, from my perspective, it seems like the format is sort of in still in a transition phase. Like there's still a bunch of people experimenting we haven't seen a true top contender come out things are good things are bad on alternating weekends so i mean where is the format now i mean we're that's sort of the point that we're we're at right i think when they they first unrestricted thirst for knowledge i was like wow that's a mistake that card is way too good and it seemed to do nothing Yep. It was a non-issue. Proves how little I know about the format. It's not you. Nobody knew. I mean, everyone had guesses, but yeah. I feel like on Magic Online, things have actually settled down a bit. Uh, it's pretty firmly Shops is actually the best performing deck. Amazingly, after everything we say, it looks different now. And I don't think it's doing as well as it was, but it is doing pretty well. Mentor decks are doing really well. And I don't want to say uh, Storm decks after then. Storm decks are doing... Maybe it's half as good as the other one. That's new, right? Storm was, like, non-existent before. Um, yeah, well, I guess that was the other thing, is um, at, at this point, Dark Petition got printed. Yeah. yeah. So we're looking at a new a new combo enabler that fits itself right into being able to play Yawgmuswil and being able to play Necropotent. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Dark Petition has definitely proven itself. There were one or two decent Dark Petition finishes at Champs. They weren't, they weren't top eights, but they did okay. But after Shops lost Chalice, they sort of slowly picked up popularity. There's a few different builds, but they're pretty close. A lot of people are combining it with Mentor, too. <laughs> well, all the crazy people, like me. <laughs> no, you're you're not the only one I've seen doing that, though. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the regular Mentor Freelikes are, are more successful, but they are... Storm Combo in general is way more successful than it had been. Right. Um, to, to speak to what you said, though, I think that it, it even though it is mostly... Shops winning and then Mentor and then Storm Combo. I think it is, the matchups are closer than they were before. I think mm-hmm. the format's more open. I think if you wanted to win six months ago, we said this before, you need to prepare for, sh- you need to beat Shops and you need to be pretty decent against Delver. But the format is diverse enough that, that A, it's, you don't need to dedicate as much space to be okay against Shops and B, if you don't have a good Shops matchup, you could still top eight, you could still win. It's not like you're guaranteed to fight it. Is that a good place for the format? I mean, I feel, I mean, for me personally, I feel like that's not how I play very well because I tend to to get into a uh, I want to get into a situation where I'm playing a deck regularly and playing it often and and getting better with it. If I feel like I have too many options and want to keep switching, like I don't do as well. Yeah, I but mean, I, I, obviously, other people I, would do differently. Yeah, I, mean, I I agree with you. That's how I feel too. But I know it's you know that's that's like a highly personal thing. Yeah. I think for a while it was completely in the open. You had no idea what, what you were going to expect. And here's the thing. Magic Online has said a little bit. I think paper metagames are sort of a little more wide at this point. And well, in the Ohio metagame's just bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it goes. Yep. Even on a good day. 
Yeah. Um, so I, I'm just, I'm just skimming through and this is just magic online. I know there are decks that are not here, but, uh, some things that are popping out, the Tez cast. So not just the Time Vault key deck, but the Turbo Tezzeret deck that runs. Yeah, okay. Synod, Thoughtcast, like probably has like Mana Vaults and Voltaic Keys as like a combo. That deck, yeah. right after Thirst was printed, a bunch of people played it, then it sort of died off. I expected everyone just to go to Null Rod and, and that technically disappear. But no, it's, it's a reasonable choice. You could see that in tournament. You really didn't see that a few months ago. Online, Belcher is a lot more popular than it was before, mostly the blue versions, but that's not saying much because before nobody played Belcher. So now there's a few Belcher players. I know that you would prefer them to be playing red-green or another combination. No, no, it's fine. I I mean, <laughs> I like the red-green version. I I mean, they all have their advantages. Way right? more consistent. The blue Belcher version has done well, and obviously it gets played in the VSL, so it has a little bit more notoriety. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever. We've mentioned a few times how Shops has changed, but to yeah. be specific, there's a pretty popular Shops deck now that before Shops was restricted, people started running more creatures, like Arcbound Driver started showing up, but now you have shop decks, not every shop decks, but you have shop decks that are running three or four Triskelion, four Arcbound Ravager, just like tons of creatures, which was not really the case before. Yeah, well, you're looking at like 20 plus creatures, right? I mean, like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just pulled up the, the most recent list, uh, to Foro, uh, Daily, which, uh, Rich Shea played, and I think he played the exact same list in the VSL. It's two Hangerback, four Ravager, four Revoker, four Golem, two Metamorph, three Trike. Wow. So it's, it's a lot of creatures. And then it runs yeah. like a Jit and a Sword of Fire Ice, uh, and four factors. It's like very uh, aggressive. I mean, it's still running a lot of lock pieces, but. Sure. Um, also lots, lots of dudes. What do you think that's to take advantage? I mean, like, I mean, if you're looking at the format as sort of being in flux as I am, do you think that that's a response to that and being just like, you know, if your deck is untuned and you don't know what you're doing, like, I'm just going to run you over with creatures in the meantime? And Or, or are there enough lock pieces there that they're really just playing an uh, aggro prison deck? Well, I mean, so so this list, which I think is kind of typical of what people are playing, it's it's four thorns, two sphere of resistance, one chalice. One Trinisphere, four Tangle Wire. So it's a solid number of lock pieces, but it's yeah. it, it could be running more. You know, it only has the one Chalice. So it has three less Chalice and zero two to pure, two less. Two fewer Spheres. Yeah, no smokestacks. And I mean, a lot of your artifacts are going to be lock pieces, too. I mean, Revokers and Lodestones are uh, important. Rich's list, which I'm looking at, actually is running three Mind Break Trap. In a, to- in a complete workshop stack. I kind of love that. Is it is that main deck or sideboard? Uh, sideboard. Okay. He sort of designed this for the VSL metagame where there's proportionately more storm combo. But even in a regular metagame, storm combo is pretty good. And while it's already a decent matchup, it gets worse if you're running a bunch of Triskelions and it gives you, it gives you game on the draw that you just wouldn't have otherwise, right? Like you can't, your opponent can't just keep, even if they know you have Mind Break Trap in your deck, they can't just keep the game one on the draw turn one kill. And it's not like they're going to board in six duress against you. They don't want defense crit against you. It's interesting. I mean, yeah. your own lock pieces shut it off, but it's not like you can't pay one mana. Yeah, that's the thing is they don't shut it off. They just they can cost you one much more. They're already hindering your opponent. So, so we're seeing. I mean, generalize it. I mean, we're looking at some people are just going a little bit faster. They're playing Storm. They're playing more Belcher. And then besides that, you still have the same mix of Delver and Workshops. And what what about control? Are you seeing Landstill? Are you seeing Bobberman? Are you seeing mana drain decks of any kind? Like, is it? So right in front of me, I just have the very recent results, which are not necessarily, I mean, Magic Online usually has, there's like a core series of decks, and then every week the index changes. There's probably just as many Gutch decks as they were, but now okay. they're Mentor decks instead of Pyromancer decks. And they're 
and it's more than just a trivial change. And I think there's variety within them, right? Because there, there are some mentor decks that are just Delver plus mentors, like both Pyromancers and mentors. And there are some that are Esper colors with more combo-y cards and disruption. There's a variety of that. So they're a little more combo-y and a little less tempo-y. The shops are now more aggro. And Storm Combo is just way more popular than it was before. Some people played it before, but now it's a decent number of people. It's it's winning a lot more than it was before. Right, you're um, you're branching out behind the uh, the diehard Storm fans into people who will, will play whatever they think is best. Exactly, exactly. I think Oath is kind of in the same position it was. It does fine. Not a lot of people are playing it. It doesn't dominate, but it doesn't, you know, you don't have like 20 people playing it and nobody winning. Yeah, Oath is kind of a funny one because it, like, you can lose to just playing Oath because you have uncastable cards in your hand and mm-hmm. <laughs> things that you don't want. I feel like Oath loses to itself a fair amount. So if you get a lot of people playing it, people will be discouraged because they just have that bad day where they're getting unplayable hands in three yeah. rounds and losing yeah. all of them. That, that is always what happens to me whenever I play Oath. Yeah, me too. So (laughs) There's a deck that's going around right now, and I'm sure by the time we listen to this podcast, that won't even be true anymore. But uh, Five Color Artificers, have any of you guys heard about this? No. No. You guys all need to know about Five Color Artificers. It's not just one person, but it's mostly one person who's doing well with it. Basically, it's a Five Color deck that plays Cavern of Souls, naming Artificer. And the Artificers you can play are Goblin Welder, Stoneforge Mystic, and Master Transmuter. Oh my. Which is, uh, oh. Master Transmuter is like a four drop artifact creature, but it's a blue it's artifact like, creature. It's like Goblin Welder for your hand, right? Yeah, you return it to your hand and you put a card from your hand to play. So it's Goblin Welders, Master Transmuters, and Stoneforge Mystics, and then a few like giant overcosted artifacts, like Maybe a Sundering Titan and a Battle Sphere. Yeah, it, it's just a weird looking deck, but I've played against it. I've seen it play against people. It, it just does a lot of weird <laughs> It runs workshops, but you, you couldn't call it a workshop deck. There's no spheres. But you can use the workshop to play a very early Sundering Titan or a turn one or two Master Transmuter because it is an artifact, even though it costs three and a blue. It's just strange. One thing that's very cool about it is it runs two Nether Void. Wow. So <laughs> Nether Void for our viewers is uh, it's a black enchantment. It costs three colorless and a black. And it basically makes everything cost three more, but it's not worded that way. It says whenever you play a spell, you have to pay three mana or that spell is countered which most of the time just means spells cost three more. But this deck runs Cavern of Souls, so you just play an uncounterable yeah. creature oh, if you don't pay three. Yeah, you, can, you can make your stuff uncounterable, or you can cast it into it and get it back with a welder, too, I assume. Yeah. Is this, is this a Magic Online deck, or is this, like, actually in a... Uh, I've never seen it in a paper tournament, but there's, there's one guy who's playing it a lot of Magic Online and doing doing pretty decent with it. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure it's not... Could it be like a cornerstone of the format? But it's one of those decks that just looks awful and then just beats people because it still runs powerful cards and it gets them out quickly. Well, is this like the second coming of what was that that old deck? Was it Cerebral Assassin that did? I want to say Cerebral Assassin, yeah, which also just got very powerful cards out quickly. Also, did they, Titans. Did Cerebral Assassin have the World Gorger combo in here, or was that something else? Yeah, some builds did. Okay, it ran yeah. Nars, Goblin Welder, and Animate Dead. Yeah, and that, I mean, that was a, a, a big pile of crazy stuff. That, yeah, but if your, deck was, if your deck couldn't handle a turn two Sundering Titan, then sometimes it just beat you. Right. And most decks can't handle a turn two Sundering Titan. Right. The Artificer deck also runs uh, three Abrupt Decay, which also can't be countered by Nether Void, which is just fun. I don't know. It, it's a really cool-looking deck. 
I doubt it'll still be around for much longer, but a small well, number of people. Why do you doubt it will be around for much longer? It's just, it's a flash in the pan or it's not, not that <sighs> it's good just, or? It's just too weird. It's possible <laughs> that it sticks yeah, around, that's but. the reason that people don't play decks. <laughs> Speaking of weird decks in the World Gorger combo. So I know that a couple of Team Serious members did well with World Gorger at Champs and I think because of the printing of Jace Void Mage Prodigy. Ah, we skipped or, over that one. Jace Vryn's Prodigy that I think is Dragon available for a comeback or is that just a Team Serious thing? I don't think so, but that's there are is, other is people it not playable online. Is that one of the firmly, things? Yeah, it is not playable online for okay. similar reasons to the Salvagers yeah, I mean, combo. Yeah, you have an infinite combo. It just things get ugly. Now it's different than Salvagers because you don't. It just happens, but you do have to click OK a bunch of times, <laughs> right? Uh, and like tap mana in between the activation. It's actually not as many clicks or as many loops as the Salvagers combo, but like. So much goes on the stack. It's very easy to misclick an order of something right. and just get all your permanents removed from the game. <laughs> like it's, it's not just combo you can't really screw up, but Dragon One you could just die by accident and it's a bunch of clicks. How does Tiny Jace help the Gorger combo? Basically, it's another discard outlet. So you have, I mean, normally World Gorger Dragon plays Bizarre Baghdad anyway as a you know semi draw engine discard engine, and and this is sort of an augmentation to that without playing a bad card. I played against it at the uh, Team Serious Invitational recently, and Jimmy McCarthy was able to draw with Jace, discard World Gorger Dragon, flip Jace, play Demonic Tutor for Black Lotus, flashback Demonic Tutor for an animate spell, and win the game. It, from, like, two cards in hand, and it was just like, oh, that's cool. So <laughs> I, I hate I, that I that know, has been I, so good. It's so yeah, expensive. I, I feel like that's <laughs> the other card that has been making waves in other formats and has showed up in vintage as the, the Jace Frid Prodigy where he sort of has a different ability than actual flashback because it's it's essentially the Yogmoth's will ability for one card, which means you can replay things like Gush and Force of Will without or and, and pay their alternate cause. Basically I've been struggling with that card because I think it should be good, but I'm I'm learning that I should be more aggressive with it when I'm playing it and go for smaller games because they're still just very noticeable games. I mean, you don't need to flashback Demonic Tutor every time to win with it. I mean, your filtering is still important because it improves your card oh, yeah. quality. Right. Yeah, there's this there's this funny thing that comes up a lot with Jace where your opponent plays like a Rest in Peace or a Leyline of the Void, which means that Jace can't flip. So Jace taps to loot, and then if your graveyard's big, it flips. But if they play a Leyline of the Void, it can't flip. And they but think, that's okay, because he's still yeah, they a looter. If they have a Leyline of the Void out, you really want a Merfolk looter. <laughs> Like, it's right. funny, like, it would be much worse to have it flip, because suddenly you have all these cards in your deck that aren't good anymore. It's like, oh, I drew Yawmoth's will. The best thing I could possibly do is loot that away. Yeah, discard that. Um, it's not like, it, I mean, you'd rather them just not play the ley line, but pe- people tend to think, ah, I gotcha, your Jace is dead, and it's actually, it's fine. It's, it's not great. It's fine. Well, I mean, yeah, Danny, I've been really hot and cold on that card. Uh, it, when it was printed, I thought it was awful for me, because I got like three in paper, three online when they were pretty cheap. And I ran them a bunch of stuff and I liked them and I sort of, suddenly they just stopped working. And I, I realized they were doing cool stuff but they weren't actually winning me games. And then a bunch of other people started playing them after that point. And I thought, well, they, I don't know, they're just late to the party. They don't realize. Because it does a lot of fun stuff. Right. But it takes you a while to realize that you're doing stuff that you feel like it's winning you the game but it's actually not. Like, right. usually if you have a Planeswalker and you plus one at six turns in a row, you are winning while that's happening. <laughs> if you plus one little J's three times, then it dies. You didn't do anything. 
Right. But since sort of coming back around to it, and I think part of it is realizing kind of need to build around it. You don't need to build your whole deck around it, but like you need to have a reasonable number of cards that are just good to flash back at any time. Like you were right. saying, play the small game. Like I, I've been playing it with duress and I think it's amazing with duress. Right. Throwing off a duress and then copying it. But if your deck is all missteps and fluster storms and forces and you flip it, and you have to plus one because you're it, copy. It's not very good with counter, or yeah, it's not very good with counter spells. I mean, Snapcaster yeah. Mage, which is a similar card but different, is amazing um, with this step. It is amazing with counter spells, and and yeah. this is is less so. Although it's still interesting with counter spells because you can use them. I mean, you can use them in advance of playing a big spell. Like if you're going to play Tinker, you can make it so you you can cast your Flusterstorm or whatever out of your graveyard and have a Flusterstorm backup for your Tinker, for example. But it's different. I mean, it's a it's a different mindset and one that I think takes some getting used to. You know, you sort of have to think of it as, like I said, it's a bunch of small advancements that all come together and eventually you get a good card. I mean, like, you you know, you draw a card, you discard a card. That's card advantage because you're getting a better card than you discarded. And then you, you flash back something and, you know, that's another card. And you know, if your opponent removes it, that's another card. If your opponent doesn't remove it, then you get to flashback something else later. You get these incremental advantages rather than really big, uh, splashy plays necessarily. I mean, there are mm-hmm. times when you, like I said, flashback Demonic Tutor and get Black Lotus and your win. Yeah, that's the, exactly the curve of Jace is that the, the first you don't like Jace, and then the first time you see someone have a, a an unflipped Jace and, like, play a Demonic Tutor and just immediately win, you're just yeah. like, wow, this is amazing. And then you start playing with it and you realize that doesn't happen every time. Right. And you can solve it. But once you realize that you can, you can do these value plays, it is, it is good. But you can't right. just throw it in any deck. Right. Um, well, and it, it's interesting too because, you know, we talked about the, the unrestriction of gifts and new Jace, Jace Prince Prodigy is pretty decent with gifts if you can get it to flip before or after resolving gifts. Like that allows you to recur one of the spells that you've discarded, for example. I mean, like, you've talked about having successful gifts piles that rely on yeah, having yeah. Jace Brains Prodigy. And that's... I would love for there to be a Jace Gifts deck. I'm guessing there isn't. I'm probably going to work on it anyway. But you <laughs> can do some pretty stupid stuff oh, yeah. by gifting for multiple tutors and dark rituals, and you just get to play all of them from the graveyard. Right. You have Jace, and it gets, uh, it gets ugly fast. All right. Uh, I mean, we, well, I guess we talked more than we expected about the current state of vintage. Format up to date. I don't know if we want to get into the next topic on the list or. Oh, I think, I think actually we're, I mean, were you guys following the uh, controversy that happened? It was funny because it was like a, like a huge controversy for two days and then it disappeared. Now it's irrelevant. I, I, I would yeah, say, I would say it was a, it was, a, I think I would call it a foofer off. <laughs> I was going to call it a panic, but. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I mean, it, so so what ended up happening, or what it seems like happened, is that there was a store that got that tried to run a proxy tournament as a sanctioned event and got caught because one of their players may have called them on it and called Wizards mm-hmm. about it, and as a result, that store got a sternly worded notification from Wizards that they should not do that. Yeah, there's a lot of rumor going around, but oh but yeah, I, it, but it, I did hear no, that it was it was like an F and M too, which is. Yeah. Which is even worse because when you run an FNM as a store, the Wizards gives you prizes for free. That's why right, I'm so great. Right. You get a bunch of people to enter. You don't have to give them anything. You get a bunch of free prizes from Wizards. If you're running a, a proxy tournament on Wizards Dime, that's definitely – like, you don't do that. That's, yes, yeah, don't uh, do that. It is understandable by it's Wizards bad. to tell them not to do that. 
Right. So this store made their, their sternly worded letter public, and everyone said, oh, my gosh, Wizards is cracking down on proxies. As a result, there was use a of proxies in unsanctioned that we're never going to be able to run a, a proxy event ever again yeah. at a store because these stores won't want to host us, and you know they can't host us because Wizards will crack down and take away their vendor license. And there were two or three days of, well, as Jeff said, panic about this. Yeah, and, and I will I will fully admit that I was probably more panicked than yeah. you guys, and more than I should have been. But I I think there are, when we're looking back in retrospect, there's like pieces that were missing. This is all what we pieced together afterwards. At the time, we right. didn't know that was a sanctioned event. We had yeah. we had access to we didn't know that it was an FNM. We just had access to the letter they sent, and there were a series of semi-official announcements from Wizards. There were non-official statements from Wizards <laughs> employees that were well, not. They- vetted yeah. um, and they sounded official and they could be interpreted in some terrible ways. And well, the thing was, like, yeah. like Wizards does have a company line on proxies and these kinds of events and Wizards employees, if they're asked about these kinds of events, are required to give that company line. You're not yeah, allowed absolutely. to host events that involve proxies because Wizards cannot sanction them. But all of that is sort of hazy language like Wizards doesn't really care if you're 20-person vintage tournament has proxies, as long as it's unsanctioned and you're not making infinite money off of it, like, you're not using their their prizes and things like that. Like, Wizards, mm-hmm. Wizards is happy to leave you alone and let you do your thing. Because like, you can't money. tell them about it because then <laughs> yes, they will have to yes. shut you down. Exactly. And, and people ask them a little too directly and they have to get answers right. they didn't want to hear, which, right. which was a problem. There was something else sort of tied into this, which is that the language they had to use, and again, this was exactly for the reason you're saying, they have to right. say it, the company line was that there's this counterfeit issue, which is bigger right. now than it ever has been, and they were equating counterfeit cards, and when we say that, we're referring to basically people from China who are legitimately making cards that seem like magic cards and selling them on like a gray market, as opposed to like writing the word Mox Ruby on a mountain. They're saying, this is Wizards IP. If you're using something that isn't a real magic card or represent a real magic card, or isn't right. that real magic card, then that's it's a law. And they couldn't say, you know, oh, if it's started on a magic card, it's fine, because then the counterfeiters would just print on magic cards. <laughs> uh, like, obviously, they have to get around from all that. But, it, uh, I mean, the carefully worded legalese pretty clearly stated, if a vintage proxies tournament is in your store, you can't, we'll shut your store down. Now, they right. we're never going to do that, but there was a lot of panic about that. Like, basically, we've come to the point where Wizards made an official announcement sort of saying that, in not quite so many words, that we're okay with proxy events as long as they're not a big deal and you're not making money and they're not sanctioned for sure. Don't use counterfeits. And I I think that... And I think they do, like, I think Wizards would prefer it if if a store owner saw kids in a store playing with like actual actually counterfeits, they would probably want the store to report them. Right. Um, Right. So that's, that's why it came out the way it did. Right. And I I think the other thing is is that wizards really doesn't have any say over what you do on your own. Like if you have play test cards and you want to use those in your own home or even in a store, as long as it's not sanctioned, like in a sanctioned event, like you're okay. And I, I think that's like, you know, I, I organize the tournaments in, Columbus and Northern Ohio, and that's sort of one of the things that we came to is that we're not going to call them proxy events anymore. We're going to call them playtest events, and they're not going to be sanctioned. And you're going you can use playtest cards, but they're not proxies, because the I mean the legal wording around proxies that Wizards has set up 
indicates that proxies are not legal in Wizards tournaments. Hmm. You know, that sort of the question is whether sanctioned or unsanctioned, whether that makes a difference, whether the store is making a profit or hosting or providing support like a proxy event, you know, can they do that? So we're calling them playtest events, playtest cards. Like, I don't know if other people are doing that, but that's what we're going to do in Ohio for a while. So So it sounds like business as usual. No more proxy events. Yeah, you're going to have playtest events. I think so. I I really think that all of this has sort of died down. We're going to be a little cautious in the next few months. So we, we have an event at the end of this month, January 30th, at Comic Town in Columbus, and we're not going to stream it. It's a playtest event. Players are going to be doing the actual hosting of the event. The store isn't going to be providing any support beyond letting us sit in their store, basically. That's sort of where we are. The store in Sandusky that we go to, Pop, they're pretty much all aboard. Like They really didn't have any issues or concerns even initially, so we're still going to be having an event. They're still going to be providing judge and support. It won't be sanctioned, of course, because it's using playtest cards, but that's what we're going forward with. We're we're doing that that one anyway. So, but we'll see. I mean, I don't know. You know, I I don't know too much about other stores, other events, other tournament organizers, what they're going to be doing. But you know, I I kind of expect that vintage tournaments are going to continue pretty much as they were. Maybe they'll change some of their language from proxy to playtest cards. Maybe they'll change a few things about how things are hosted or prizes are distributed. But I don't think anyone's going to be cracked down upon from from Wizard. Yeah, I, I think there might be a short period of time where some stores are nervous about yeah. promoting or, or like you said, like streaming, doing coverage. I don't think Wizards really cares, but I think that people are going to be careful for a little bit, right. which is a shame, but I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to all settle out to where it used to be, but. Right. Have, have, have we had scares like this before? I, I guess I sort of feel like I remember this happening before, having one of these scares about unsanctioned proxies events being threatened. I don't remember anything like this. I mean, I, I know that we've had, I think that the biggest scare I can think of surrounding proxies has been like the Chinese counterfeiters and yep. people, people it, it might have been that just, the gold lands were going to be worthless because yeah. the Chinese were going to flood the market with tundras. Did you guys ever hear about ELD proxies in Ohio? I don't know how much it mattered outside of I, 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 I knew of them, but I know that he got a, a strongly worded letter about yeah. not doing and, and, that anymore, I don't know if you would like me talking about this. I don't know how many people are listening. It's it's not that big deal. For, for a period no of time, one's listening. Don't worry. Yeah, no, we have listeners. There's I, like four, three of us here. Like I, know, I know he's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> there was a period of time where uh, ELD, uh, a player in New England, was was hosting tournaments. He's one of the TOs there and one of the players. He came up with this idea of giving out proxies as prizes. In a they were tournament. nice. And it was a, a brilliant idea because he put a lot of work into them. He made very nice. Yeah. Now, they weren't like counterfeits. They didn't look like the real cards. He did like hand-drawn art on them. And he actually like... In the beginning, he gave one to everyone in the tournament, and if you pre-registered, he did something for you. So, like, I have an imperial seal with like a stamp of a brass man on it. Like, that's that's <laughs> the bottom of the imperial seal, which is pretty cool. But he, so he did that, and then he did this thing where he said that from now on, for all of his tournaments, those don't count as proxies towards your proxy limit. Oh, I see. <laughs> and he ran enough tournaments, and then some other people went on it too. I think maybe uh, Ray Rubler or Waterbury went on it. So it's some so. They obviously were never worth as much as power, but they became valuable. Those cards still have value. They're just like a, you know, a card that somebody's written on, but for a while they had value as cards. People traded for them. People were trying to hunt them down. People were trying to select collect full sets of ELD power. And, you know, he, he, he didn't just make them. He had a limited run. This is the tournament with Ancestral. This is the tournament with, you know, Mox Ruby. Um, right. 
But yeah, he got a letter from Wizards. It, I don't even know if it was an official cease and desist or just a, hey, you can't do this. You know, he never got sued, but he, right. know, he he's an individual running tournaments. He's a, he's a small businessman. He just, you know, wasn't, wasn't even close to worth it for him. So he immediately shut down, stopped doing him. I don't think anyone thought that meant the end of proxies in general. It was a proxy related event that Wizards cracked down on. We, we, like we were amazed that they even knew about it, but right. somebody found out about it. Well, they, I mean, I, those, those events went on for a long time and you have, mm-hmm. like you said, other people picking them up. The TMD opens were decently large events at the time. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised that Wizards knew about it on some level. I mean, like they had people who knew about the vintage scene. I've played in tournaments where I've received good proxies as something for entering the tournament and you know, a card that's drawn on and you know i won't say where they came from but i still use them yeah well i mean it's i don't know i i feel like there are people who are going to use proxies play test cards as fillers where they need to i mean i have a few foil power cards that i've collected over the years and i mean outside of tournaments they have a legitimate use as Playtest cards. Yeah, like, right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. It's like, I'm going to use those if I need one. So, you know, it's a, it's a different kind of situation. I think it was a very scary time when people really didn't know what was going on. Wizards didn't communicate things very well. And it, it sort of seemed like unless you were hosting something like a Team Series Invitational, which is in Jeff's house or somebody else's apartment or somebody's rec room, and they couldn't threaten to take away your vendor license, there was a time when stores would be legitimately worried about going anywhere near vintage or proxy legacy or proxy modern. And I think, you know, I, I can't blame them. Why would you? Like, Wizards would just start finding your, your private home stream on Twitch and swatting you. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, they could, right? <laughs> well, yes, absolutely. They could. Yeah, it is technically, like, illegal to stream a video game, but just no video game cares because they think it's great publicity. But they could shut you down if they wanted to. Now, the interesting thing about the, the letter and everything was, like, how small of a window everything happened in. I mean, it was, like, yeah, a week, right. and the sky fell, and then it bounced off the ground, and now it's back in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, that, that, was, that was actually what was kind of funny. It was, like, all of this happened within, like, two days total. I mean, like, it was, like, from yeah, midnight so, you know, we, to next midnight, and, and it was all done, and, and everything seemed to be back to normal, and... It just depended on how invested in vintage you were and how much you cared about the paper vintage scene, <laughs> how, how panicked you got about it. <laughs> well, I guess, I I guess yeah. that's an interesting point. If they say, hey, you can't use play test cards, hey, you can't use proxy cards, every vintage tournament you have to play, sanctioned or not, you have to use real cards. Is that it? Like the format is dead at that point completely? Yes. I, it, you know, it's, it's really hard to say. I would say vintage as we know it would be dead. But there would still be vintage. It would still be, I mean, like, something. It, yeah. I, mean, I think Magic Online would get more popular. Right. Instantly. And it, I, I think, don't I'll say that, Brassman. Don't say that. The, the price of Magic Online cards went up because a bunch of people bought them in the announcement. It didn't go up dramatically, but more than they had been going right. because they were afraid to play online. That was one of our options was we're only going to be able to host sanctioned events at stores. Like, well, I guess I would still play in a sanctioned event at a store and, I think other people would too. And, you know, we have several powered players in Ohio, in Columbus. Like, you know, we could still do this. Like, there's still options if you're playing a budget deck. Like, you know, it, vintage would be completely different in the sanctioned environment because it necessarily is. But, you know, it would still exist. Yeah. Like, we would still have it, events. It's tough because, yeah, some, some regions would probably be almost unaffected. 
some would be affected, but there would still be tournaments. But then at like you as an individual player, maybe you live in a place where nobody has power, only a few people. Well, actually, if nobody has power, that's not even that bad. The real problem is if two people have power and 12 people don't. And and, yeah, nobody else does, right? And now there's no reason for you to go to a tournament if you don't think you can win. Right. Like if you have any chance at all. I heard during the panic, I heard some people like sort of accusing this as a conscious effort by wizards to hurt vintage. And I think that's ridiculous. I think, oh, yeah. I think, I think it's ridiculous to think that they care about vintage enough to hurt it. Yeah, um, right. I agree. All, all 500 vintage players, they're really trying to kill us. Yeah. I, I mean, they could, they could legitimately kill all 500 dude, of dude, us. Wizards is totally <laughs> enacting order 66. <laughs> it's true. And, and I, I mean, I, I think, I think it is legitimately scary that like vintage isn't important enough for them to really factor into this decision. Like I think, I think Wizards wants a healthy, vibrant vintage format. I think they absolutely want that, but they're never going to do that at the expense of anything else. Right. Yeah. Because why would they? There's no reason for them to do it, and and they shouldn't do it. But this was a case where they were able to sort of save the situation and say, no, it's actually not important to us if you don't do proxy. That's fine. But like, if there was this legitimate concern. Where somehow vintage was, it was save vintage or have five percent more standard players. Why, you know, what's what's the point? You know, I, but I definitely don't think they're out to get us, right? Anyway, I think they want every format to be fun. You know, their their approach to that doesn't necessarily always match with what we think that approach should be. Next up would be the most recent. BNR announcement, which was no changes. Very exciting. Well, it was, there that were was offer changes and modern changes. And I know the modern changes were very controversial, but this is not the podcast to hear about controversial modern changes. Do we, we have we anything don't care about to talk? Them. I mean, I, I think that we talked about in our, in our earlier discussion on the state of vintage that we think things are pretty good. Therefore, no changes seems like a very reasonable move right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. Yeah. So, Nat, did you want to discuss anything in specific there? So, <laughs> I mean, we have written down here, and uh, it, it makes sense to talk about. Some people have talked about Dark Petition as a potential restriction target. Really? Um, people have talked about it. I mean, I, I'm glad they didn't do it. It was a card that, when it came out, no one really cared. A lot of people kind of trashed it, but it is very quickly uh, a four of in the Storm decks. I don't think Storm is so powerful that it needs to be restricted at all. I think leaving illegal is good. But I do think that the power level is similar to cards that are restricted. Hmm. So I think there's an argument there. I, I wouldn't make myself, but I think that it is a, it is a very powerful card. Just on, on raw power level. If, if that's how people want to do the band restricted list. But there are a lot of different strategies and philosophies to operating it. I think it costs five. That's how I feel about it. Like I lost to it turn one. I think it one. costs two. That's the thing. I, well, I, I think know, it costs but... two. I lost to it turn one at the Invitational, and that's what knocked me out of top eight. But I still would say that the card seems very fair because it costs five. <laughs> like, and I know it costs two, but you still need to ramp to get up to five to get there. And yeah, but that's, my, that's, that's not nothing. I mean, my and, response But that's what your, your, your deck is trying to do. I mean, like, your, your deck yeah. is built to get to five, to play Dark Petition, to And play. everyone's deck is built to win somehow. But, but the thing is that Demonic Tutor, you also have to get to five. Yeah. In, in Storm sure. Combo. Sure. You have to get to five to play Demonic Tutor and then win. In Storm Combo, it's just Demonic Tutor. 
sometimes it's better than mnemonic tutor if you don't have three black mana and you want to cast the necro mm. but uh but you're right i mean there are definitely times unlike demonic tutor you can't just go turn one mox land demonic for ancestral or, yeah or well, you can't go mox land demonic for black lotus actually i mean like that seems like the why well, sorry i mean i mean dark petition yeah yeah demonic tutor can do great things on like sort of tempo-y plays right. on the first two turns but once the game is past a certain point, Dark Petition is exactly as it's good the same, right. as the Monarch Tutor. But I, th- I think you guys are right. I think it's, I, I've heard people talk about it, but I don't, I think it was the correct decision not to restrict it. So how do you play against it? I mean, like, does graveyard hate become more prominent? Do you play different kinds of graveyard hate so you can hit combo and dredge? How do you answer it other than obviously counterspelling it or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I agree with that. I don't think, I think the jury's out, but, yeah. um, I think like Tormod Script was always, or like Graft Digger's Cage was always okay against Storm Combo. Not great, but like if you don't have, you know, if you don't have cards to board in, you could bring in a Tormod Script or two. The Tormod Script um, because you can take something else out. Yeah, uh, it, that was always okay against uh, right. a Storm Combo deck. And I think so, now it's it's got it's gotten better than okay. It's not this right. amazing mind blowing trick, but it's a lot better than it was. I like the, the Tormod Script effects as opposed to like a ravenous trap, which sometimes won't fire and they can counter it and they can have, and they can duress it and they can right. defend it. The ley line of the void is just, well, they see the tournament script coming too, but ley line of the void is just, it's okay. It's okay. But I, I, I don't like committing that many cards to that plan. Yeah. Ley line changes how you play everything because you have it in your opening hand. It's minus one card, but for a decent effect and your opponent knows it's there so they can, you know, make plans around it and, either try and get rid of it or mm-hmm. you know, otherwise ignore it. And, I mean, I, I can see where Leyline wouldn't be great all the time. Yes. I, I've been running a Nihil Spellbomb in my blue base decks that have black in them, like a Nihil Spellbomb main and like one of the sideboard. Okay. I, I don't want to bring in six anti-graveyard cards against combo, but I do want to bring them in against dredge. So I might right. have two Spellbombs and then Leylines or Jailers or Traps or, or whatever else. Sure. But I've liked that. Uh, but it's, I don't know for sure. I think, like I said, the, the jury's out on what the actual best plan against the deck is. Right. But you're right. That's that's a reason why it probably will never become so dominant. Because when I play Storm Combo, I'm a little nervous to run four Dark Petition. I think the card's great, but I'm nervous to run four because if they have a Tormod script and you draw two of them, <laughs> right. you're, you're like, it's really not very good. <laughs> Suddenly makes it, do- it does cost five mana, and then, and then you guys are right. It's not really that great at five right. mana. No, it's it's a different card, and it, I mean, it's sort of interesting, you know, looking back at when people were playing Grim Tutors and thinking what the differences are. I mean, Grim Tutor costs three, and you know, you could get Black Lotus and have it be reasonable. And and now it's like you have this tutor that costs five, and you don't want to get Black Lotus because you just want to go get your bomb because it lets you play it automatically. <laughs> you have these two things where they're similar, but you know, one has sort of proven itself a little bit better than the other, even though it on the surface costs more. Any other banner string cards you guys want to talk about? I haven't really heard too much from anyone. I think I think people generally think things are a little. I, I feel like I mean not problematic. You know, yeah. yeah, looking at the at the format now, like I don't feel like there's anything that's too crazy. I mean, you get you get the same kind of people who are always on about restricting actual workshop or actual bazaar of Baghdad, which is ludicrous. And then there's like dark petition, right which yeah. it, it has not been around long enough and hasn't really embarrassed itself enough to to merit restriction like I've been i can't a, i can't see restricting anything right now without 
a, a decent reason. I mean, like they just made some major changes, and the format is still adjusting to those. And you know, we're 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 coming down off of that. And you know, maybe maybe in another three or six months, we can look at this again. But... talk about Malort. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't even know what Malort is. You guys have to uh, you so, so I, I I was in Chicago. You know, we had a Team Serious weekend. I don't even know if we played cards, but we all went to Chicago to eat and drink and have a good time. We were walking around some random neighborhood. Yeah, we we call know, these debaucher weekends, don't we? Isn't that wasn't that the yeah. name of it? <laughs> exactly. And we, we go into a bar. It's just a regular neighborhood bar. And Tuan was there, and he goes to the bartender and says, give us a taste of something local. <laughs> and the bartender just looks around at the people at the bar, and everyone is really excited, and they pour us shots of Malort. So so let me I, – I, I need to know, when Tuan asked – Tuan made that demand, did he know it was going to be Malort? No, not at all. Like this okay. was this was like we're we're in a place and we want to experience something local and Juan's like, you know, give me something local. <laughs> so yeah, it was a total blindside. It was it was not like this is I'm I'm expecting Malort. It's like, you know, I'm okay. in Colorado and I want some course or whatever. That's that's vastly different though in the end. <laughs> Yeah, but like I wouldn't remember if I was in Colorado and someone gave me a course or right. you know. But whatever. oh, but that, you've got memories. That I remember. Right. So Malort is is a is a what herbal liqueur? I think that would be the 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 name of it or the uh, the specific kind. But it's a uh, I, I mean it's a a golden sort of hazy spirit. Looks like a urine sample more or less. A little bit. If you're a little, a little bit. bit dehydrated. And uh, it's a it's a Chicago staple apparently. So people from Chicago are familiar with it, and you know, see it as a a test of Chicagohood, and will serve it to their unsuspecting out of town guests. Google Malort and, um, and and when we had the the most recent Team Serious Invitational in Toledo in December, I requested a bottle of it, and Jimmy McCarthy came through and and brought a bottle. And um, <laughs> as, so as what he do you does. Think? And, and that was the first time you've ever had Malort, right? I, I mean, I, I have heard, I, I knew of it. I knew it was supposed to be, you know, variously claimed to be undrinkable. And, you had some expectations um, going like in. Like the worst thing you've ever tasted, and you know, no one actually gets this ever unless they're pulling a prank on someone. And so I. I just wanted to know. I wanted to know, and I didn't want to go to Chicago to find out. I, so I, I felt like the consensus that night was that it was not as bad as people expected. It did not. I mean, ultimately, for me, it did not live up to the hype. It was not undrinkable. It tasted bad, but... I, I have to say that um, not as bad as people expected is uh, the perfect transition, <laughs> because it is, that is the <laughs> official slogan of another drink we said we were going to talk about today. Right, right. <laughs> So anyway, a bit. <laughs> that is in fact, that's the official, the official slogan of what I'm assuming, but I mean, you guys would know better than me, is the official, currently the official drink of Team Serious. I, I, I mean, <laughs> Until I feel you like, come up with a better one. Like, not as bad as people expected is pretty much the mantra of Team Serious, right? <laughs> like, it's, like, that's what we're going for. Everything. <laughs> but, so anyway. The, decks, so, the cocktails, they're all, 
<laughs> so so we uh, we sort of convened at, in Toledo and and we're trying this this malort on Friday night. I, I think four or five or six shots were poured for that many people and you know descriptions of the taste ranged from you know pencil erasers to rubber bands to very very herbal to very very bitter grapefruit and you know none of these are undrinkable like they they taste bad but you know i've accidentally tasted gasoline before (laughs) (laughs) it's accidentally it's it's fine like (laughs) But can, can you can you appreciate the differences in our experiences, right? You're, you're like this is people are like this is the worst yeah. thing I've ever had. To drink this, and I it's understand like, if you're unsuspecting. A bar gives yeah. me something local. I think it's yeah. amazing. If, it, if you're unsuspecting, like I don't know, like I don't know how you deal with that. Like it's it's certainly a blind <laughs> you, side. You punch someone, but but this. <laughs> <laughs> what was the what was the description? Malort, Malort maybe this is the night you fight your dad. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It'll make you fight your father or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway. So I, I had a I had a shot of it the first night and I had a no- shot of it after getting knocked out of the tournament on the next night. I tricked my wife into drinking a shot of it after <laughs> I brought it home. So I mean I still have a half a bottle of Malort left and it goes I'm sure a long it'll way. be put to good use. When when people can only take one shot in June, yeah, it'll probably be there for you, Chap. All right. I don't know. It was it was very herbal. I could see trying to mix it or chase it with something grapefruity because I as soon as I tasted, I was like, oh, this tastes a lot like grapefruit. That is just terrible grapefruit. I don't know. It like I said, it wasn't it wasn't undrinkable. It was just bad. Like I don't really want to order it ever, but now that I have some, I'll make sure it it's it's used. It's good. I feel like these are the things you miss out on, Jeff. Like, <laughs> oh. Do we want to talk about Jaegeritas quickly? Oh, um, yeah, Brassman and I invented the Jaegerita at uh, Vintage Champs. We we had both gotten knocked out. This was after, what, round three or four? Around then. And, uh, I, I, I started 2-0, so it must have been round four. <laughs> yeah, it must have been round four. <laughs> round I started 0-3, so it must have been round four. But anyway, we got... We were back at the hotel room. We were about to go to lunch, and I was like, I need a drink. And the, the only things that we really had were a bottle of pre-mixed margarita and a bottle of Jaeger. <laughs> and um, so we, we poured, put some ice in a couple of glasses, and we poured the uh, uh, pre-mixed margarita mix into the bottom. And then we, we layered some Jaeger on top of it and pretty much drank that as a, I don't know, shooter or... It was it was too much liquid to be a shooter. To be a shooter, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was. A, I guess it was a drink. It was a full drink. But yeah. And and again, not as bad as you people expected. <laughs> I mean, you're you're dealing with a lot of sugar in that case because you know premixed margarita is nothing but sugar and acid, and Jaeger is pretty much cinnamon flavor and alcohol. So it couldn't be terrible, and it wasn't. So. <laughs> High praise. Yeah. High praise. There's, there's pictures of it. I'll make sure I put them in the uh, the article wrap up of this. So Excellent. You can see it. It's it's pretty good. I I had another one at the team series invitational that I made for myself. So I have Here. another a quick recommendation. Boulevard Brewing Company has a beer called Tank Seven Farmhouse okay. Ale. It's like a farmhouse ale, and 
It's so good with a little bit of orange juice. It helps if it's like 85 degrees outside, but <laughs> I, that's what I've been drinking tonight, and it's delicious. So. I mean, you realize it's January, right? Yeah, there's 85 it, degrees yeah, 13 nowhere. degrees out. <laughs> oh, it was, it's supposed to be 50 degrees here this weekend. Yeah, but, so. but yeah. people will be listening to this podcast for years to come. Oh, all, right. All, all, all times. Right. Yeah, long after Boulevard is like out of business, Malort will still yeah. be Malort will be there forever. But yeah, sure. Well, I mean, the, it'll probably be the same bottles. <laughs> my uh, my preferred drink recently has been um, a bottle of hard cider plus a shot of bourbon plus a splash of orange liqueur, and uh, that's that's been pretty good for me. Anyway, I guess I guess we <laughs> we just talked about we did the food and drink section. It was all about drinks, and that's fine. That are that are variously either terrible or okay. So <laughs> they're better than you expect. It's happened again. You've wasted another perfectly good hour listening to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. I'm Josh Chappell. I'm Andy Probasco. And we hope you'll join us next time for more Serious Vintage. Take a little trip. Take a little trip. Take a little trip.